Well, good morning. Welcome again to church today. Got a fan section down front. Strategically placed. I'll pay all of you later. No. Um, uh, just real quick to update the, uh, the, the parent meeting announcement. We are actually not going to meet in the youth room. It's not quite done yet. We're going to meet across the hall in room 202. So if you're a parent of students that are in our youth group after the, the second service this week or next week, we're going to have a parent meeting uh, in that room uh, and just talk about a few things. And while I'm on that vein, if you've not uh, gotten the opportunity to poke your head in the youth room, uh, we're doing some updates in there. And I just invite you to do that. Although don't do it today. Wait till next week. We're not quite done yet. Uh, but I, I want to take a, a quick moment. Uh, they were in first service, but just wanted to just say thank you to um, Darren Yaki, uh, Tom Denny, and Rusty Coey. They put in a lot of work uh, that was just their own time, just volunteering uh, to help with that. Uh, we tore out some walls, and we... Um, are updating some carpet and, and doing some things in there. Uh, and they've just done awesome. Uh, just this week, Tom Denny was running a cable for me and crawling up in the ceiling where there's like this much space. And he said if he didn't make it out, I was supposed to tell Sandy that he loved her. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, they did, uh, they did, they've, they've just done an awesome job for us and we're just grateful uh, for them. And, and uh, so I invite you, not this week, but next week, pop your head in and just see what, uh, what's different back there. Uh, as, as we get ready for this school year. Uh, that being said, we, uh, this morning we're going to continue on with our IM series. And uh, this week I couldn't help but notice, I've been, when, I, when I ride in the car to and from our, our house to, to here, it's not that far of a drive, so I don't listen to usually anything of significance. It's just usually just the radio or, or maybe sports radio. And um, there's been a commercial on this week that I've noticed um, and it's for a, a company called 23andMe, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Uh, it's a company where they, uh, they send you this uh, DNA kit where you take and you swab your cheek and you put it in this container and seal it and send it back to them with a check for $100 or $200, and they'll tell you everything that there is to know about you. Uh, they'll tell you uh, your ancestry, where you come from, all the different parts of your uh, DNA, where it comes from, different parts of the world. They'll tell you your diet, like health-wise, uh, things about you. They'll, they'll tell you uh, that if you uh, like bitter things, you probably that means you probably like coffee and all this kind of crazy stuff. And... Um, it, it, it just plays off of this larger role of trying to know who we are, trying to figure out um, our identity. And uh, it's, it's something that's been going on uh, a lot, not only just in, there's always been people that have like made ancestry their hobby, you know, like the research things and go online, do stuff. Um, but like even it's, be, it's become greater than that. There are all kinds of, of tests and things that uh, people take to find out more and more about themselves. And it's just part of this, this push to just know who you exactly are. Because if you know who you are, then you know like your, your habits and your tendencies and your different things. So in, in life, you can make sure, you know, like I, I I'm going to be this, so I need to have somebody else to help me out and balance me out so I can do this. Or I'm good at this, so I should be involved in this. And, and, and we, uh, we just strive to know ourselves. Uh, and uh, we feel like we are just, we're able to be better people if we just have a very accurate view of who we are. And it ha all has to do with identity. And uh, this, that's what this series has been about, this I Am series. We have been finding out the identity of Jesus uh, by his seven I am statements. And these seven I am statements reveal to us a lot about Jesus. There's, there are metaphors, that, this word imagery that shows us exactly who Jesus is. But in turn, when we find out who Jesus is, that tells us something about ourselves because we are God's creation. 
and we are, we are connected to him. So if, when we say Jesus is this, therefore that means we are this. And we've, we've looked at five of those statements already. Uh, first, we, we saw that Jesus is the bread of life, therefore we are satisfied. We talked about the fact that, that all the world has to offer, it's, it's fleeting. Um, you, you can get it and it'll satisfy you for a moment, but it doesn't stay with you. Uh, I can tell you I have uh, a six-week-old baby, and I have to feed it every two hours, right? Because it's just hungry, and the food that I give it, it goes away, and you've got to give it more, and that's just what happens. Jesus tells us that he's the bread of life, and the, the food that he offers us uh, does not flee. It's something that, that stays with us. It's substance that satisfies us to the point where we won't need any other food. Then we read that Jesus was the true vine, therefore we are sourced. We are connected with Jesus just as a leaf is to a vine or, or, or a branch is to a vine. Um, that's, that, that's, that's all that we will need for uh, just for, for life. If you think about the the, the main vine on a, on a, like a grapevine or different things, um, that main vine prov- provides all the source of life, all the nutrients, all the everything that that needs, that that branch needs to succeed, to bear fruit, to do what it's supposed to do, what it's designed and created to do. And that's Jesus for us. If we're connected with Jesus, we're going to be sourced uh, with everything that we need to be who we were created to be. Then we read that Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, and, and along with that, the next week we read that he is the gate and the door. So therefore, uh, the good shepherd protects his sheep. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him, and they know his voice. And we know that uh, because um, Jesus is our good shepherd, and we are his sheep, that he will protect us. Uh, when the kids were up here the week that we talked about him being the gate and the door, uh, they made the sheep pen, and then the shepherd lays down in front of the sheep pen, and he protects the sheep at night so that sheep can't leave the pen, but also that people can't come in, animals can't come in, thieves can't jump over the side of the wall. And he tells us that, that he's there to protect us. And he makes us secure, and he makes us safe. And then last week we read that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, we can be sure. We don't have to wonder whether or not what we're, what we're following, what we're hearing, what we're believing is true. We don't have to wonder if we follow Jesus, is he going to lead me somewhere that's bad for me? We, can, we know that following Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and we can just be sure. And with all the things that are going on in our world, I mean, just look at the news just the last few weeks. It's just crazy out there, right? If you could tell somebody, hey, you can be satisfied, sourced, secure, safe, and sure, who would not take that right now? in our country, in our world. And Jesus is offering all of those things to us. That can be our identity if we're willing to simply accept his love, his grace, his mercy, and have him be the savior of our, of our life. And this week we're going to continue uh, with another I am statement. And we're going to find it in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, th- this is an I am statement that kind of, I-, I felt like when I was getting ready for it, it's pretty self-explanatory. Jesus is the light. We come with natural understanding of light and darkness, right? When you're a little kid and you're uh, at home in your room and it's bedtime, most of us wanted a nightlight, right? Because we were afraid of the dark because bad things lived in the dark, right? Dark was evil. We wanted light in there. And, and that's just, that was just naturally ingrained in us. We just don't like the darkness. We would prefer 
the light, right? And, and I, I, myself, I tend to be a light person. If I'm, if I'm in a room or at home, I, if there's a light switch and there's lamps and there's everything, it's all on because I really like light. I'm not one of those people that would just like sit in a dimly lit room with a lamp in the corner. I want light. I want the room to be filled with light. And that's just kind of who I am. And I just feel more comfortable in light. And some of you are like that. Um, but we, we just automatically know that like light would stand for good. Darkness would stand for evil. Uh, we're going to prove that here in just a second. I'm going to show just some pictures to you. And I just want you uh, just to simply respond with light or dark when you see the picture. All right, so we'll go with the first one. Light, right? Okay. Go to the next one. Dark. Good. Yes, next one. Light, right? Next one. Dark. Good. I think we got another one. And another one even, we won't, we'll leave those alone. We naturally understand good versus evil. And we understand it in the realm of light versus dark. And uh, when, we, when we talk about light, we just talk about the active power of dispelling darkness. And if you were a Jewish boy or girl, a boy or girl growing up in the first century, uh, the, the time that Jesus was here on the earth, uh, you would have had a, of a good understanding of the connection of light with God. Uh, the Old Testament is chocked full of imagery of God being light. Starting out with, with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we find that the world is void, formless, and dark. And then we find God hovering over the deep. And God says, let there be light. And it's in this verse that uh, they actually just like attribute light to God. God is connected now with light in their, in, in their theology, in their mind. Uh, the, it was taught that from that moment, God was light. And God used light to start to structure and form this chaotic mess of a planet into something that he was going to create and use. And light was the beginning of that. And uh, even, uh, even this week, as I was getting ready and I was reading all this kind of stuff, and we had a, a get-together at, at the Hartford's house, and I was sitting next to Andy uh, Rogers, and we were just talking about, uh, some scholars even believe that the light that's talked about there is not just light as in light bulb, turn on, light glowing. It's, we're talking about he created in that moment good and evil. But, but regardless of, of, of how you view Genesis and, and specifically that part of it itself, God is attributed with light. And from the rest of the, the Old Testament, God manifests himself in light. When you look at all the stories where God appears and God shows up and God does something, it normally has something to do with light. We talked about uh, the fact that um, God showed up in the back of the wilderness when Moses was out there just tending sheep and he appeared to him in a burning bush, right? And then uh, when, when Moses went to Egypt and, and freed the people and they were walking out into the wilderness, God guided them uh, by day with a cloud, but then at night he was a pillar of fire that they would follow. And then when Moses goes up on the mountain to talk with God and to receive commandments and just to, to spend time with him to know what God wanted for his people, and all Moses saw was the very back edge of God, he walked down the mountain and he was glowing for days because God's, God's just being is so 
bright and so um, just so awesome that it's manifested. The only way that we can understand it and manifest it is in light. And so God is connected to light. And that light is believed to be what? When they created the tabernacle and later on the temple in the most holy place where God's spirit was supposed to reside to lead the people, that, that light was supposed to reside there. And that light is called, uh, the, the, word, the, the Hebrew word for it is Shekinah. And that just simply means God's dwelling place or presence. And it was believed that there God's light sat and stood and it would guide the people. Um, and then uh, when, uh, when the Israelites finally, finally left God and, and went off and were, were doing their own things and worshiping idols and, and, and led away in exile, the light was believed to have left. But God left the people with this word from Isaiah. In, in chapter 42, verses 5 and 8, Isaiah says this, This is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you, and here when he says you, he's actually talking about the Messiah, Jesus. He's saying, I have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I kind of believe that if God had a microphone, that's where he would just drop it. It's kind of, that's just kind of it. And that's that is when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, Jesus is claiming to be that light, that presence, that glory that sat in the most holy place. Jesus is claiming to be just that. John, the author of the, this gospel, wants us to know exactly who Jesus is. And in the very beginning of his gospel, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John wants us to realize who exactly Jesus is. That's why these seven I am statements are found in John's gospel. It's his goal that at the end of reading his gospel that we would want to believe in Jesus. And so we, we hear all this, and, and, and these verses, I mean, they're powerful stuff. They, it tells us all that we need to know, but what makes this even more um, amazing is just the context in which Jesus says these words, I am the light of the world. See, when Jesus says these words and where he's standing and what, what's going on around him, it makes this all the more significant. Because at this time, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the last of seven feasts that the Jewish people have throughout the course of a calendar year. And the Feast of Tabernacles celebrates, uh, again, what God did for the people during the Exodus and the fact that God led them and God provided for them. Um, just the chapter before this, uh, this is still during the same festival, uh, we hear the, the phrase that, uh, that, that Jesus is, is living water. And during this festival in the morning, they would go and get water uh, from the pool of Shalom and they'd bring it in to the temple. And it's reminding the people that God, while they were out in the desert in the wilderness, struck a rock and provided water 
for the people to drink when there was no water around to be found. God provided for their need. And then at nighttime, that's, uh, and this kind of gets into the, the, the light scenario here. At nighttime, they've got these four, uh, or some, some scholars believe it was two, sometimes, some believe it was four, but they've got these huge candles. I mean, candles that are, that are filled with oil every night and lit. And when they're lit, they glow like crazy. And they are so powerful, so bright, so awesome that they illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. It reflects off of everything. And it's, uh, there are scholars that, that have read uh, manuscripts of people who lived in Galilee, which is 64 miles away. They could tell when the festival or the, the Feast of the Tabernacles was going on because they could see Jerusalem glowing from 64 miles away. That's a powerful light. And not only would they have those four can- big candles lit, but they would also have torches. And they would, they would literally just celebrate and dance around the fact that God be, was, a, was a light to their people and guided them through the wilderness and through the desert. And that's what this feast celebrated. And so it's in this moment that Jesus decides to tell the people that I am the light of the world. And when Jesus says this phrase, he's standing where these candles are. Are, but it's during the day. And, and during the day, they weren't lit because the oil would run out at night and they wanted to make sure that they had enough oil through, to last throughout the nighttime. So in the day, they would die out. And so I just picture Jesus standing there in front of those candles that are awesome at nighttime, but at, during the day, they're out. They're nothing. And Jesus stands and he's sitting there and he's telling the people, I am the light of the world. My light never goes out. These lights behind me, they glow and you can see them for miles and miles but you can't see them at all during the daytime because they're out. But I'm the light of the world. Uh, there's some, uh, there's some uh, scholars that say that at the same time that Jesus was there and Jesus was teaching, and he had been in the temple courts teaching throughout this feast, but uh, there are some that would say that the other rabbis, the other teachers, the other leaders of the law, they would be in there teaching as well, and they might say a phrase that w- would say something like, I am the light of Jerusalem, or I in the light in Judea, because that's just simply where they were located, and they felt like they were doing uh, the, the will of God at the time, and they were telling the people about God and things they needed to know, so they were, they were being a light just in their, their little area where they were located. But Jesus is saying, I'm not just the light of Jerusalem or Judea or, or all the different places around the Middle East. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and when he says that, he gets everybody's attention. Because there's a claim being made, and the claim being made is Jesus is saying, I am God. I am God's light. I am the, this manifestation of light that we read about, that you study about in the Old Testament, that lived in the temple. That I'm that. And that has significant impact on you and me, but it also had significant impact on the Pharisees that were sitting there hearing Jesus say these words. Because as Jesus said these words, naturally Jesus is saying, well, I am the light, and I am the true light. I am the light of the world. That, that means that there are people that have claimed to be the light, but weren't. There, there were people that, that were following other people that needed to then leave and turn and follow Jesus because Jesus was the light of the world. And this would make the Pharisees upset. And so we're going to read uh, here the rest of this, this passage. We're going to read the response of the Pharisees. And it almost kind of makes me laugh, and I'll explain why later. 
So when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I have come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So what makes me laugh about this is I come from a family of five boys, and, and I know like when we get in fights and different things when we were growing up, and like somebody would say something or do something that you just know that either they weren't supposed to do or that was not true or whatever, and you, get, you just get so mad, you just get so worked up that when you try to respond, like you, it doesn't even, like you don't even have a real comeback. All you say is, well, you can't do that. Like that's, you can't do that. Like when we'd be playing a game and somebody would cheat, that's not in the rules. You can't do that. And so these Pharisees are sitting there saying that. Um, I said in the first service, I might as well say it in this one. And I, uh, this is the first time I've ever used dumb and dumber in a, in a sermon. But um, when, when Harry gets mad and he tells the Lord, you can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. That's exactly what the Pharisees are coming back. They're so mad at what Jesus is saying that the only comeback they have is just, you can't do that. And Jesus responds back, yes, I can. Um, see, the Pharisees... Uh, they struggled with this because they should, they should have known what the scripture said and they should have been watching for the person that would come and be God's light manifested here in the world. And they missed it. And they missed it to the point where right before we, we meet Jesus in this temple court, uh, in the court of women where the offering was taken, uh, where the most people who were Jewish could reside in the temple. That's where Jesus is when he's preaching and, and saying this. Um, the Pharisees think they've got a trap for Jesus set. And they bring this woman who was caught in the act of adultery before Jesus. And their goal is not to bring justice, not to have this woman realize what she's done was wrong. Their goal was to bring her before Jesus so that Jesus would do one of two things because they thought only one of two outcomes were possible. So they bring this woman before Jesus. They tell Jesus her charge. And this poor woman has to be sitting there just trembling. More than likely, she was caught in the act and not even given the opportunity to get clothed again. So she was brought naked before these men in the temple. I mean, if you can even just surely imagine, you always have the dream of showing up like in your underwear somewhere, and you can imagine that happened to you at church. It would be even worse. So that's where this lady is, and she's standing there trembling probably, waiting for that first rock, because the, the judgment is that she should be killed, and she should be killed by having rocks thrown at her until she's dead. And she's sitting there trembling, and all the while, these men, these leaders, these, these what should be spiritual guides for the people are using her to try to just get at somebody else. And men who should be the light in the world are being 
the dark and the evil in the world. And Jesus, like only Jesus can, responds a third way. When there only seems like two ways, Jesus always has way number three, right? And so Jesus is, is sitting down. He's kind of not even giving them the attention that they really want him to give them. He's kneeling down. He's writing on the ground. We really don't know what he's writing. Uh, but he's sitting there, and, and he says, okay, well, let any of you who haven't sinned throw the first stone. And it said, slowly they dropped their stones and left. And it even says the older ones left first. And some scholars believe that the, the reason this happened this way, uh, we don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground, but there's some that believe that Jesus may have been writing out the sins of the men on the ground who were bringing this woman before them. See, when Jesus claims to be the light of the world, uh, Light dispels darkness. Light shows darkness for what it is. And that day, Jesus showed the Pharisees for who they were. And this light of the world comment that Jesus makes about himself, this imagery that Jesus makes about himself, tells us about ourselves too. First, it tells us that if we follow Jesus, we can't be in darkness. This is twofold. This means that if we're following what Jesus says, it's not going to lead us into darkness. Kind of just piggybacking on what Pastor Chip shared with us last week. Uh, we can be sure that when we follow Jesus, it's, he's the way, the truth, and the life. It's not a way or one of the ways. He's the way. And when we follow him, we're following truth. We don't have to question whether or not what we're, what we're hearing, what we're, what we're being told to do by Jesus, we don't have to question whether or not it's, it's, it's the right way. It is. And then we're also told that we can't follow Jesus and yet still be in darkness. Sometimes um, when we, uh, well, when we, we mess up. It doesn't, it's not like a, it's not a big mess up usually. And it's stuff that creeps into our life. That's this, maybe it's just a shadow at first. And then maybe it just knocks the, the brightness level down a few, a, a few pegs. And then it slowly, it's just like somebody's like pulling a dimmer down and you don't notice the shock is not there. Um, kind of like dropping, they, they talk about a, a frog in boiling water. If you turn the water up, temperature up slowly, the frog won't realize that it, the water is starting to boil and he'll die in there. But if you drop a frog in boiling water right away, it'll jump out. It knows it's wrong. It knows it's bad and it tries to get out. Um, same kind of way with us. We can think that we're following Jesus sometimes, but if we really stop and we really let Jesus' light show us just who we are, let it reveal to us who we become, sometimes it reveals to us some things that we need to work on, things that we need to change, just like it did to the Pharisees in the courtyard that day. Second, we learn that uh, because Jesus is the light of the world, it tells us that Jesus can help dispel the darkness that so easily traps us. If you're here this morning and you've struggled with stuff like substance abuse or anger or or rage, sexual sin, greed, personal harm, you name it, Jesus can help you. This isn't just a light that shows darkness for what it is. It's a light that gives us life. It's a light that uh, helps us to move on from the darkness. We don't have to just 
stay there. It doesn't just shame us for the rest of our life. It actually helps us to get better. And Jesus' light does that for you and for me. Third, it tells us that if we separate ourselves from Jesus, it gets dark again. We start to slip back into the, the formless void that evil has waiting for us. Jesus is the light of the world, and if, we, if, if you've got a light bulb on in a room, and the further and further you get away from it, the darker and darker it becomes. So if we separate ourselves from Jesus, um, that, that's truly like one of the descriptions of hell that's given in the Bible. When Jesus uh, tells us parables uh, about the kingdom of heaven, and the king throws the people outside of the gate where, into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is... That is um, one of the many descriptions of hell that we find in the Bible. And when we find ourselves straying further and further and further away from Jesus, we're moving more and more back into the darkness, the formless void that is separation from God. Off the coast of Mexico, there are fish called tetras. And if you've ever gone into Walmart, you can find some of them in Walmart. Walmart uh, sells them. They're usually like a full tank full of them. They've got a blue stripe on the side. Um, tetras, if you shine light on them, they're called neon tetras mostly. And when you shine light on them, they can like glow and illuminate in bright colors, like bright blues and oranges and greens and pinks. We got a picture uh, of them we can put up there. These are tetras, and they're really cool looking uh, a fish. I remember having some growing up because... Uh, my dad loved fish, and we had a pond out back, and this was an easier to take care of, we thought, at least, than a dog or a cat. So we had fish, and um, these fish, like I said, they, they come from the, the coast of Mexico. And uh, when uh, some, some people were uh, kind of studying them and, and working with them, uh, something led them into the caves, underwater caves off the coast of Mexico. And in the under, underwater caves, they found more of these fish, but they were drastically different. See, at some point in time, something forced these tetras that are, that when, sh when light is shined on them, they become these, these cool-looking things. They got forced back into the cave, whether it was a, a predator that forced them back there or there was a food source that was back there, whatever caused them to, to go from being out in the open in the light into these dark caves, something forced them in there. Uh, and they stayed in there, and they multiplied and thrived in there. However, uh, the darkness did something to them. We'll show the next picture. All of a sudden, they went from being this, this cool-looking fish to this. It's a fish that's lost all the pigment and its scales and its skin. Uh, the eyes of the fish had fallen out. They don't believe that the fish can actually sense light or warmth at all. And this fish that was, was designed to be out in the light, designed to be out swimming off the coast and, and being in this, this awesome uh, just, just area of the world, was forced back into a dark, cold cave. And it didn't stay what God designed it to be. It became something different. But we have a hope that the Mexican cave tetra does not have. See, we serve a God who shines light on us to see what we really are. But then we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay that way. This fish is stuck this way 
for the rest of its life. But we serve a God who can come into our lives and he can restore us to what we were designed to be. This doesn't have to be, if you feel like this is you this morning, this doesn't have to stay this way. The prince of darkness, the, the evil one, Satan will tell you, you know what, you've messed up too many times. You screwed up enough and there is no hope for you. Forgiveness is not an option. But we serve a God who is a God of love, who's a God of light, who's a God of life, and he wants to restore you. I've watched enough shows on HGTV to know that the ugliest house can become the coolest house with just a little bit of work and effort, or if your name is Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? They can make anything that's ugly into something awesome. And that's exactly what God can do for you and for me because he is the light of the world. He can show us where our downfalls are, but he doesn't leave us there. He helps us get out of there. And he helps us to become and be restored into the first fish that we saw in that picture. The final thing we learn about, being, uh, about ourselves from Jesus being the light of the world is that we can be reflective just like the lights of Jerusalem, or just like the lights that were at that festival make Jerusalem into a glowing, uh, basically huge light on a hill, we then can become glowing lights for Jesus as we go out into the world. Jesus is the light of the world, therefore we can shine. And that's one of the ways that Jesus is going to, to impact some of the darkest places in our world, is by you and me shining and going into those places and telling them the good news of Jesus. I'm going to close this morning by telling you guys a story about my friend Dwayne. Uh, when, uh, when I was a uh, college graduate bachelor um, living in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, I, I had already met Gabby. We had, we had already started to date, and uh, it came time for me to buy a ring. And I realized I couldn't buy the ring on my youth pastor salary alone. So I had to get a second job. And that second job was driving a school bus. And so I went through all of the training, got my CDL, did all that. And uh, the very first day I showed up, with, uh, they had not given me a route, but the very first day I showed up, there was a driver that had hurt her knee the night before. She was going to need surgery. She was going to be out the entire time. And so they gave me this route uh, that did both high school and elementary school kids. Um, at, at different times, both in the morning and the evening. And one of the kids that I picked up, his name was Dwayne. And Dwayne had a smile that was just completely infectious. He was happy regardless of what day it was, regardless whether it was the first day of school, it was the middle of the year, it was the end of the year. Dwayne was always happy. And Dwayne always talked about going to church. And he always talked about his youth group. And he always talked about... Um, he would tell me, even with a full busload, what, what they talked about, what he read, all this stuff. He was just, he was just on fire for, for God. Now, here's the other thing about Dwayne. Dwayne, from the moment he was born, was crippled. Dwayne uh, was in a wheelchair uh, that most of the time he couldn't drive by himself. He, he, he could flip a switch and he could drive it a little bit with, this, uh, with a joystick, but he had no control of the function of his legs, uh, of the, the middle part of his body. He could move that joystick with just a, a, a finger or two. This is the other thing about Dwayne. Dwayne's family left him as an infant. And he grew up uh, with, uh, in the care of, of medical facilities. And then by the time I, I came along as a senior in high school, he was living in a group home. And in this group home, um, he wasn't cared for very well. 
Uh, I don't know any of the specifics about the group home itself, whether it was good, whether it was bad, but I just know when we picked him up, there were times where you could tell nobody helped him get ready. You could tell that um, he, uh, he was not properly cared for and, and taken care of. And if anybody had the right to be upset or mad at the world or frustrated or in a very dark place himself, it was Dwayne. But you could tell that there was just something different about Dwayne. And that was because Dwayne, in the darkest place of his life, was a reflection of Jesus. He was a young man who was shining bright the love of Jesus. He didn't let, he didn't let his situation get him down. He didn't let the fact that he, he didn't have family get him down. Even when I, when I get frustrated sometimes at life and the way things are going, if something doesn't go well, I often remember that senior in high school that I picked up in the wheelchair that had to sit in the back of the bus because that's the only place where we could put the wheelchair. And I would remember him yelling out to me what they talked about in church and what, what the song that he sang and the, the, uh, the new thing that he learned. And I just, I just remember that that's what God wants me to be. Regardless of whatever my physical condition is, God wants me to be a reflection of the light of the world. And when we do that, we become what we were designed and meant to be from the very beginning. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for this time that we've had to just contemplate what it means for you to be the light of the world and for what that, what that tells us um, about people who follow you and seek after you. And, and dear God, we, I just pray this morning, if there's someone who came in who feels... Um, just away from you, who, who, who may be going through a dark time in their life. Dear God, I just pray that your light would infiltrate uh, that situation, that that person would uh, find the grace and the hope that comes from the, the true light that you offer. Dear God, I pray that uh, you would use your light to change us, to mold us, just like the light in the beginning uh, when, when God made this world into something. Dear God, I pray that your light would be that for us today. Dear God, I pray you be with us as we go from this place, as, as students be in school this week, as we go back to jobs and work. Help us to be a light in a dark world. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.